Aaron. This is Viewpoint with attorney and author Chuck Chrismeyer. Viewpoint is a one-hour open-line talk show confronting the issues of America's heart and home. To express your viewpoint, please call 804-754-1988. That's 804-754-1988. And now with today's edition of Viewpoint, here is Chuck Chrismeyer. In the summer of 2020, New York City was reeling. Riots and broken out in the death of George Floyd in Minneapolis, violent mobs targeted police officers, and more than 450 cops were injured by anarchists and Black Lives Matter protesters. Hundreds of New York Police Department vehicles were torched. Hundreds of stores were looted of millions of dollars of goods. Unpermitted marches blocked traffic went on almost continuously, and in late June, Hundreds of anti-police protesters and demonstrators occupied City Hall Park between City Hall and the Brooklyn Bridge, blocking traffic. The protesters indicated that they wanted the existing police force disbanded and replaced by community-based conflict resolution workers. And the budget shifted $1 billion in funding for the New York Police Department and cut recruitment. The month of July, the next month, saw a shocking rise in violent crime across New York City. At the same time, hundreds of thousands of residents were moving out or making plans to, and thousands of businesses were closing their doors permanently, and the city was facing a $10 billion budget hole as tax revenue just dried up. Well, in response to this unfolding inexorable disaster, Mayor Bill de Blasio made a bold move. On the morning of July 9th, the mayor, joined by his wife, Al Sharpton, and a few dozen supporters, painted the words Black Lives Matter in giant letters on Fifth Avenue in front of the Trump Tower and television cameras. He said, this is such an important moment for our city. This is something we need to do for New York City here and all over, said Mayor de Blasio as he exulted. We are liberating Fifth Avenue And we are uplifting Fifth Avenue. Well, that is just one small picture of the story of New York. And I welcome you to Viewpoint. I'm Chuck Chris Myers. Conversation with ever-increasing conviction. Talk that transforms. Our special guest today, Seth Barron, with his book, The Last Days of New York. He said it's a reporter's true tale. And uh, we're going to be talking with him in just a moment. But New York City is the most populous city in the United States, an estimated population of about 8.3 million people distributed over about 302,000 square miles. It's the largest metropolitan area in the world with almost 20 million people in its metropolitan statistical area. It's one of the world's most populous megacities. The New York City has been described as the cultural, financial, and media capital of the world, influencing commerce, entertainment, research, technology, education, politics, tourism, fashion, and sports, the most photographed city in the world, home to the headquarters of the United Nations, and has sometimes been called the capital of the world and also Babylon. And so, again, I welcome you to Viewpoint. It's conversation, as always, with ever-increasing conviction, talk that transforms. And we welcome today Seth Barron with his book, The Last Days of New York. Seth, it's good to have you on the program. Chuck, it's great to be here. 
Well, you have written a fascinating book. I have only been in New York once or twice. I swore never to go back because the the traffic was so horrible. It was exceeded only by my experience in San Francisco and Philadelphia. And so (laughs) I did love the Statue of Liberty, however, and still do love what it stands for. And it's good to have you here on the program. What caused you to uh, write a book like this, The Last Days of New York? Sounds apocalyptic. Uh, well, it does sound a little apocalyptic, and I don't want to make it sound as though the city is about to sink into the sea, but things have taken a grim turn. Uh, I've been following Bill de Blasio's career for a long time, and I witnessed the rise of the progressive, uh, of which he's the leader, uh, to power in New York City and state over the last 10 years. Uh, and I was kind of horrified to see some of the changes that were taking place. Uh, to public safety, to matters of education, to matters of, you know, opportunity. And so when COVID hit and things really went south, it seemed like now's the time to explain how this wasn't all just because of the pandemic, mm-hmm. that the seeds of our decay and of our collapse were planted and sown and very tenderly cultivated by these progressives, uh, whose you know goal. Look, if you were an alien, you would say, "Oh, they're they're trying to destroy the city." And yet, there are eight hundred languages spoken in New York City, the most linguistically diverse city in the world. Uh, it's a premier gateway for legal immigration to the United States. Uh, that, in the one hand, would seem to be a good thing, and yet. It seems that uh, things are falling apart. Well, in a sense, what you have with all of that, uh, look, 40 percent of New York City uh, was born over overseas. OK, so, yes, there's tons of immigrants. And, and you know, this leads it, it's got good and bad qualities. On uh-huh. one hand, it does it does um, promote. You know, there's not a lot of. We're breaking up here. for mayor is he said he was going to we had a tale of two cities we had the rich rich and the poor and he said that wealth inequality income inequality these are the big problems but here's the thing if you're going to have 40 percent of the city is immigrants typically when people come to a new country they come with very little so it makes sense that you would have a fair amount of inequality because you're dealing with all these people who are coming in. Right. And here, here's the important thing, Chuck. They're not coming to New York City for equality, for equity, to get like a bowl of mush three times a day. <laughs> they're, they're coming for opportunity. Yes. And that's always been the draw. Well, isn't that what the uh, uh, Statue of Liberty, in many respects, stands for out there in New York Harbor? I would say so. Liberty enlightening the world. You know, this is the place where you can come and it doesn't matter who your parents were, like what caste you're from or whatever, that you can come. And if you work hard, you can make something of yourself for your family and, you know, the future generations participate in this, in this great project. Um, their vision of what liberty means is the freedom for everyone to, you know, just stay at some very low level 
of subsistence while our like elected overlords you know rule over us basically mm-hmm. that's that's as close as i can come to understanding what de blasio's vision of the world is well, uh, it's been said that Blasio is the worst mayor in the New York City history. Uh, some would differ with that. Uh, he did inherit a uh, somewhat dysfunctional government that was addicted to social spending, as you know in the introduction to your book. Well, and go ahead. Well, here's the thing about that. Um, I'll tell you what. Hold it, that thought. We're heading sure. into a break. Hold that thought, and we'll be right back with you after this break. How's that? Great. Once upon a time, children could pray and read their Bibles in school. Divorces were practically unknown, as was child abuse. In our once great America, virginity and chastity were popular virtues, and homosexuality was an abomination. So what happened in just one generation? Hi, I'm Chuck Chrismeyer, and I urge you to join me daily on Viewpoint, where we discuss the most challenging issues touching our hearts and homes. Could America's moral slide relate to the Fourth Commandment? Listen to Viewpoint on this radio station or anytime at saveus.org. Welcome back to Viewpoint. I'm Chuck Chris Meyer. If the New York metropolitan area were a sovereign state, it would have the eighth largest economy in the world, home to the highest number of billionaires of any city in the world. So why is it that New York City has such financial problems and seems not to be able to get its act together under Mayor Bill de Blasio, whose term is about to expire? Our special guest today, Seth Barron, with his book, the Last Days of New York, and uh, here is a $28 a hardbound book. It's yours for $24 on our website, saveus.org. That's saveus.org. You can give us a call at 1-800-SAVE-USA, 1-800-SAVE-USA, or write to us at Save America Ministries, P.O. Box 70879, Richmond, Virginia, 23255. If you're writing a check, at $5 for postage and handling. Back to Seth now, who is standing at the airport in a parking lot uh, there in New York, ready to flee the city. Is that right? <laughs> well, you know, I'm not fleeing forever, but I'm headed down, <laughs> I'm headed down to, to God's country, to uh, Dallas, to attend the CPAC. Uh-huh. Uh, you know, as part of my job where I, I work at Claremont Institute, Um which is a you know conservative think tank, and we're 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 we're, we're having a booth there. So, all right, I'm heading down. There. It's true, I'm heading down. There. All right. Well, they can forgive you for pretending to flee the state or fleeing the city, and sure. uh, they'll welcome you back. I'm sure uh, with open arms. Uh, Bill De, Be- De Blasio will be the first one to welcome you, won't he? He's going to lay out the red carpet. He loves me. Okay. Now, what is it about de Blasio? Uh, you're well, saying that he's not the heart of the problem, and yet, in some respects, he is. Yes. Well, here's the thing. I mean, we were talking about whether de Blasio is the worst mayor in city history. Mm-hmm. And people have talked about other mayors, like A. Beam in the 70s. Under him, the city basically went into receivership. Or David Dinkins, under whom uh, murders soared to 2,100 a year. 
each of these mayors inherited a terrible situation. Mayor de Blasio inherited, like, an ideal situation. Murders were were dropping and had been dropping for decades. Mm -hmm. Uh, The city was incredibly prosperous. It was safe. We had 63, 65 million tourists a year coming through. So it should have been uh, a no-brainer just to keep things going. But he instituted these, these policies of, you know, trying to achieve equity. Now, it's true. Revenues were soaring because the stock market did well throughout that whole period. Mm-hmm. And New York City never really suffered from the recession in the same way that other parts of the country did. So de Blasio just set about spending every dime he could get his hands on. He expanded uh, city spending by uh, $20 billion a year. And where did he put that money? Well, that's a good question. He, he, he hired thousands, tens of thousands of more municipal employees. Uh, he just poured money into all kinds of... Except for police officers. Uh, he hired a few more police officers, but I think we're—I think um, you know, uh, with retrenchment and attrition, we've lost them now. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, he—you know—he spent—he gave money to the teachers. For instance, when he came in, uh, the teachers' union had been operating technically without a contract, so he signed a new contract with them in which he gave them $5 billion in retroactive raises. Wow. So, yeah, and that was such a huge... Well, that's a way to seduce uh, political obeisance, isn't it? This is the way uh, de Blasio... Basically, de Blasio's entire mayoralty has been structured around the idea that his true constituents are the public sector unions. And it's the job of the people of New York City to pay their salaries like the public sector unions come first and And why would he why would he uh believe that maybe it goes back to his own background maybe we should talk about that a little bit sure why not yeah Uh, let's do it bill de basio that's that's not his official name is it it's not his official name he was born warren wilhelm uh Son of Warren Wilhelm Jr., son of Warren Wilhelm Sr. That would be pronounced Wilhelm, wouldn't it? <laughs> Wilhelm, yes. Warren Wilhelm. Um, yes. Uh, his father, I guess, was of German background. Mm-hmm. So it wasn't like, you know, pronounced. His mother was, an, was the daughter of Italian immigrants. Um, both of his parents, he, he was born late in his parents' life, like in the late, they were in their mid-40s. So they were from, they, you know, his father fought in World War II. They were from the Depression generation. Uh, and that colored a lot of de Blasio's thinking. Um, his parents were both very left-wing, uh, basically communists. Curiously enough, and some of your listeners may remember this name, uh, his mother, his, both of his parents worked at Time Magazine under Whitaker Chambers. Oh, my goodness. Isn't that interesting? That and is Whitaker interesting. Chambers. <laughs> Whitaker Chambers apparently like identified de Blasio's mother as being very pink. Um, after World War II, his father lost a leg in the Pacific Theater. And uh, after World War II, uh, his mother, well, she was investigated by the local disloyalty board and mm. was found to be kind of insufficiently patriotic. So essentially his father lost his... Um, 
security clearance All right. and couldn't work in the um, for the government anymore. So that kind of embittered him. Uh, de Blasio grew up in, uh, you know, in Boston. His parent, his father went to Yale. You know, so he comes from a pair, uh, a pretty Tony background. I right. Mm-hmm. Uh, he wound up going to NYU. He changed his name. Gradually, he, he has two official name changes. First to Bill, uh, Bill uh, Warren, Bill, yeah, Wilhelm de Blasio, or. I mean, it, it's so confusing to right. Try it's hard to, to keep track of it. It's very hard because sometimes he was Bill Wilhelm, sometimes he was Warren De Blasio, sometimes he was Bill Warren De Blasio. Very strange, um, very strange story. And I think, well, I think it seems like he had an identity crisis of some sort. Yeah, I think so. At one point, how, t- how tall is he? About six eight. No, no, he's maybe 6'5". Really? Well, that's five. pretty tall, 6'5", and yet he still has an identity crisis. He really does. Um, at one point, and this is kind of amusing, he told people that he changed his name after reading the autobiography of Malcolm X and hmm. how he, he was um, moved by the way in which Malcolm Little changed his name to Malcolm X. So I was like, oh, okay, so de Blasio had decided to get rid of his slave name. I mean, is that, is that the point? I, it, it's, a little, it's a little silly, but I think if, if you think about the, the demographics of Brooklyn, which is very Italian and Jewish, mm-hmm. being named Warren Wilhelm isn't going to necessarily help you any. No. And he, he wanted to you know, pursue a, a major political career. So Bill de Blasio sounded better. All right. Well, let's, uh, uh, let's make the connection with his, his wife. Tell us a little bit about her, because that, I think, is helpful in understanding Bill de Blasio. Yes, absolutely. Uh, Bill de Blasio's wife is a woman named Charlene McRae. Uh, He's always counted her virtually as his co-mayor. And I think it's true that he's very very attached to her. Uh, She's a black woman. Mm -hmm. They met while both were working for David Dinkins. Curiously enough, at the time... Uh, she was an out lesbian. In fact, she'd written an article for Essence magazine called I Am a Lesbian. Wow. She was, she was part of a very, very radical black feminist separatist group called the, the uh, Combahatchee River Collective in the <laughs> 70s in Massachusetts. She's seven years older than he is. I well, what, what caused uh, Bill, if you know, to be attracted to a lesbian declaring her allegiance only to females? You know, that's a great question. And funny thing is, is in interviews, she said that he pursued her so doggedly and so avidly. Until she caught him. (laughs) Until she caught him, yeah. (laughs) That, no, he pursued, yeah, I mean, he pursued her. And she had to tell him to, like, back off. Mm -hmm. Uh, You know, I think in today's, after the Me Too movement, this kind of sounds a little curious, but... uh, Listen, whatever works, they, you know, to give him credit, he does seem to, to love her very much. And he definitely seems like he's a dedicated father. Uh, so, you know, just to just to point out that I don't like low, I'm not going to disparage every aspect of Bill de Blasio's life. Sure. Well, um, to put it to put it uh, in a distilled fashion, it seems like he and his wife became very much like Bill Clinton and Hillary. 
very similar to that, or like uh, Barack Obama and Michelle. Uh, they became well, consummate po- a consummate political pair for well, it's, highly it's, liberal and pro- uh, progressive uh, agendas. Yes, yes. I think that you can make those comparisons. I mean, Hillary Clinton, it sounds like, was a fairly competent lawyer in private life. Mm-hmm. Uh, neither Shirlane McRae nor Bill de Blasio had any skills for living in the, the regular world. Uh, throughout the 1990s, de Blasio worked at a number of kind of what you'd call sort of political hack jobs, like running Charlie Rangel's campaign, his like 20th political, his 20th congressional campaign. He worked on Hillary Clinton's campaign. He did various things for the city council. He was never successful. He was never, he never showed any talent for, for, um, doing anything except, you know, uh, flattering his superiors and, you know, kicking on people below him. Uh, his wife was fired from a number of jobs. So when he was finally elected to, to public office in 2001 mm-hmm. to the city council, that was like a great relief because now he didn't have to worry about getting fired anymore. All he had to do was keep running for office. And he was very successful at it. Uh, he worked out these um, unity platforms with the various unions and with the Working Families Party, which is a radical organization that was essentially the third party that was essentially founded in order to try to elect Bill de Blasio mayor. Well, he, he calls has- himself a social democrat. What does that mean? That's a distinction without a difference as far as I'm concerned. Yeah. I mean, it, this is a guy, it's the same term that, uh, uh, oh, what's his name? The guy from Massachusetts that uh, was running for president. Uh, they thought he was going to be the uh, the shoe-in for the presidency, and he calls himself a social Democrat. Who's that, John Kerry? No. Uh, why can't I? I'm having a senior moment at the moment. Uh, he is actually a communist and uh and oh, Bernie Sanders. Bernie Sanders. Oh, from Vermont, yeah. There, oh, that's right. There's a lot of similarity between Bernie Sanders and his wife and uh, uh, de Blasio and his wife. Uh, Bernie Sanders actually had his honeymoon in Russia, and uh, de Blasio and his wife, what did they do, have a honeymoon in Cuba? That's right. They had a honeymoon in Cuba at a time when travel to Cuba was restricted. And I so they're birds illegal. of a feather, each going to a communist country in order to secure their marital allegiance. <laughs> Indeed. Uh, prior to that, I may add, de Blasio uh, went to Nicaragua to do solidarity work with the Sandinista regime. That was in 1990, towards the end of Daniel Ortega's um rule as the, the maximum leader of Nicaragua. So it was like uh, Obama so, doing his uh, community organizing there in Chicago. It's very similar, and I'm sure if you talk to de Blasio or got, got him to his deepest thoughts, he, he imagined that he should be like, a kind, like you know, recapitulate the whole Obama experience. Yeah. I mean, you remember, he did run for president, right? and I think he was serious about it. Like, well, it know, seems fascinating that such a man... Uh, even though he is uh, six foot five inches tall, uh, somewhat lording it over the uh, society, 
it seems that uh, a guy who really didn't have, shall we say, the chops, uh, the qualifications to be able to do what he's doing should be there and uh, should have uh, sustained himself there like uh, Andrew Cuomo uh, over the entire state. What's wrong with that state? Uh, it's a great question. I mean, it's got an incredibly dysfunctional political culture. Um, turnout in municipal elections in New York City used to be around 90%, like in the 50s and mm-hmm. 60s, and it has just died since then. I mean, I think now it's around 17%, 15%. Very few people vote. Um, and a lot of that is because the whole political system has been hijacked by this class of consultants. Yeah. We'll pick up on that after this break, uh, Seth. Sure. The book, friends, The Last Days of New York. It's a fascinating, fascinating story and book. Uh, $24. We'll put this $28 book in your hands. It's on our website, saveus.org. We'll be right back. There is so much more about Chuck Chris Meyer and Save America Ministries on our website, saveus.org. For example, on the front page are two great videos. First, an interview and discussion of Chuck's book, Out of Egypt. Also, a great TV interview with Chuck regarding his book, Seduction of the Saints. Much more videos, a For Pastors Only section, and also you can view Chuck's weekly teachings. All at his website, saveus.org. That's saveus.org. Also on Chuck's website, listen to Chuck's Viewpoint broadcast. Listen to the archives. Maybe you missed a program. Check it out at saveus.org. Also, there are some great resources, hospitality information, also information about marriage, divorce, and remarriage, newsletters, articles, prophecy, prayer and revival information, all at saveus.org. Again, I welcome you back to Viewpoint. We have a very special uh, guest here today, Seth Barron, with his book, The Last Days of New York, kind of an apocalyptic title. One wonders uh, whether there might be some greater significance to the title and its implications than he even understood. But back in uh, 1624, Manhattan Island was, uh, shall we say, founded as a trading post by Dutch colonists, uh, it was named New Amsterdam at that point. And then along came a fellow by the name of Peter Stuyvesant. I'll never forget uh, in my earlier studies in junior high school, uh, looking at American history and seeing caricatures of Peter Stuyvesant parading down through New York with his uh, staff in hand. I, I think he uh, he had a was missing a leg, perhaps. In 1664... New York was renamed New York after King Charles II of England that granted the lands to his brother, the Duke of York. New York City was the capital of the United States, believe it or not, from 1785 until 1790 and has been the largest U.S. city since 1790. In 2019, New York was voted the greatest city in the world per a survey of over 30,000 people from 48 cities worldwide. So what's happened? What's going on in the so-called greatest city in the world? To answer that question, Seth Barron is here with us to talk about this with his book, The Last Days of New York. 
if if your book is about the last days of New York, then all of these uh, descriptions of New York are in deep trouble, aren't they? Oh, I, I would say so. I, I think we are in deep trouble. I think a lot of it's been papered over by, um, you know, Biden came in and injected all this money into uh, liberal states and cities, allowing them to pretend that they don't have major fiscal problems. But it's like putting wallpaper over a hole in the wall. It's not going to not going to last a winter. Um, you know, New York City, as we were saying, it, it has a very dysfunctional political culture. Uh, consultants run uh, elections. They essentially choose who's going to run. They raise money for who's going to run. Sounds they like Washington, D.C. It's very similar. They work for uh, major corporations. They work for the public sector unions. And they put everything together and skim off the top. So... You know, as long as they're in charge, it's going to be hard to see much. You know, it's kind of like our own um, our own swamp, or I even say it's like a municipal deep state. Well, you have uh, a chapter called Systemic Rot, How Reform Became Corruption, and I think just a, a brief uh, citation from that chapter will give us a clue as to what's going on and is characteristic of most of the major cities in our country. New York City, like most big cities in America, operates as a one-party state. Out of 51 council seats, 48 are occupied by Democrats. There are 65 state assembly seats filled from New York City. 63 of the 65 are held by Democrats. Out of the 24 state Senate seats from the city, 23 are Democrat-held. And out of 11 U.S. congressional seats, Democrats solidly hold all but one which means it is a one-party state for all practical purposes, and that seems to be the characteristic, excuse me, city, and that seems to be the characteristic of most of the major cities in our country that are currently just like New York, uh, perhaps in their struggling last breath. Listen, the the one place where we see a kind of unity, like here's the one line that's shot through all of these, these deep blue cities, and you can see it in the question of public safety. Mm-hmm. Murders have gone up 40% around the country in 2020, and they're still going up uh, in, in many of these cities. Shootings, murders, everything's up. And someone like Bill de Blasio says, oh, well, this is because of COVID. COVID came, yeah. and unrevealed all of these inequities in our society. And that's why what we need is to spend 10 or $20 trillion fixing them. Which was another way of saying the problem was racist from the root, which is exactly the same thing as Lori Lightfoot is saying about Chicago. You're going to hear it from, you hear it from Lori Lightfoot in Chicago. You hear it uh, from Gavin Newsom in California. You hear it in Philadelphia, in Baltimore, you're going to hear it in all of these cities. I mean, I, I suspect you're probably here. I mean, you probably hear it down in Houston. Um, but what you're seeing is, and this happened after the George Floyd riot, is this new move to defund the police, to stop the police from being able to do their job, to blame the police for crime, essentially, and you know, to propagate this narrative that the police are out there murdering black people, uh, 
which just couldn't be further from the truth. I mean, I'm sure your listeners are aware of the actual data on how many people are killed by the police every year. Well, the reality, let's get that out of the way. The reality is there were 13 last year. 13 right. black men killed by a white police officer. Well, those were unar- like unarmed black people. Oh, I don't know un- that that's the case. It's just yes. 13 total black men killed by police officers, white police officers. Well, we could we could go back and forth on this, but it, it's certainly not in the, the many thousands, which is what liberals tend to think. Um, in New York City, for instance, this has been ha- this has been a long time coming. They have been pushing reforms to the criminal justice system ever since de Blas- even before de Blasio came in, uh, pushing this idea that any arrest is essentially a human rights violation because you know here's the idea they call it, I, I call it the cascade theory. A black kid throws a piece of paper on the ground. He's ticketed and given a warrant or a summons. He misses his court date. Now he has a warrant for his arrest. He's arrested. He's brought to jail. His parents can't make bail. He's sent to Rikers Island. He joins a gang. He winds up in prison. His whole life is, is destroyed. This is like the idea. In reality, very few people anywhere go to jail for committing like petty nonviolent offenses. It's just a myth. New York City's jails are filled with career criminals, people in their mid-30s who have been there before, who have committed, like, pretty heinous crimes. I mean, there's a lot of serious, serious violent felons there. Um, But, you know, New York has introduced major reforms. The New York State Legislature and Cuomo signed this, eliminated bail as an option. So now, unless you're essentially a murderer or something, you can't be held to wait trial. They have to release you. They changed criminal discovery to make it that witnesses are terrified to come forward. Sounds like California. It's very similar to California. Yeah. Um, they decriminalized things like public urination and other quality of life offenses. Uh, you know, you'd be hard-pressed to get arrested for shoplifting, like in California. All right, well, um, those things are revealing the interior deterioration of the culture of the so-called greatest city in the world, the greatest city in the world, New York. Uh, what it seems to me, Seth, and as, as I look at this as uh, one who left the practice of law at the height of my career, to plea a cause, what I believe is the cause of a lifetime, to a jury of my peers, and particularly the church in America, concerning the moral and spiritual deterioration of the country and what to do about it. What this is looking like to me is New York is like the, uh, the capital of the country, but not exactly the political capital. It's the capital of the country from regard, with regard to economics, with regard to uh, entertainment, and uh, all of these kinds of things sandwiched together, New York becoming the symbol of the country. So what you are describing here is the massive deterioration from the inside out of a city that symbolizes the heretofore described as the greatest 
country in the world. That's a serious thing, and to me, that does sound apocalyptic. Well, you know, putting it that way, it 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 it, it makes me wonder. Maybe maybe you're right. Maybe my title, maybe I didn't really understand the, the true meaning <laughs> of my title. No, I mean, look, New York City is the cultural capital of America. This is where publishing, media, finance, you know, all kinds of important industries. Are, are located, and you're right. It's being hollowed out. There's a moral rot at the center of it. Um, and that's why, like, I don't really, I make it very clear in my book that I don't blame, De, I, I'm not saying de Blasio is, is the devil and he came in and all we have to do is get rid of de Blasio. Right. Oh, no. That's this not the case fruit. at all. No, no, no. He's like the, the fruit and flower of a deep, deep-rooted rot. Right. I guess you would say. All right. Now, let's uh, let's take a look at that, uh, because here on this program, we just don't uh, take a look at political issues and so on. We take a look at that which is even deeper in our hearts and in our minds. We're confronting the deepest issues of America's heart and home from God's eternal perspective. And when I look at New York and I look at all the descriptions of New York, what I know about New York and the, and the nation as a whole, what I find is that there's very little uh, recognized spiritual rootedness in New York. It's just not known for spiritual rootedness. In other words, it's a great vacuum in New York. And a vacuum, nature abhors a vacuum. And a vacuum will be filled. It will be filled by something. And if it's not filled by righteousness, it's going to be filled by unrighteousness. It's going to be filled by corruption. And that's what I see. What say you uh, in response? I, I think that you've, um, you're making a strong point there. I mean, de Blasio has always said that uh, he, you know, he, he professes faith in God, but at the same time... Well, so does the devil. Says, exactly. And he <laughs> says that, that, that his... His version of religion is um, liberation theology. There you go. Okay. That tells us it's identical to Barack Obama's uh, religious fervency in the name of Christ. It's a radical deviation. We'll be right back after this. Stay tuned. Have you ever considered what the early church was like? Many people are developing a heart longing for a greater fulfillment in our practices as Christians. A recent study showed 53,000 people a week are leaving the back door of America's churches in frustration. What is going on? Why has there not been even a 1% gain among followers of Christ in the last 25 years? Could it be that God is seeking to restore first century Christianity for the 21st century? Jesus said, I'll build my church. Is Christ by his spirit stirring to prepare the church for the 21st century? The early church prayed together and broke bread from house to house. They were family, and it was said by all who observed, behold how they loved one another. Incredible. But the same can be found right now. Go to saveus.org and click Sell Church. We can revive first century Christianity for the 21st century. It's about people, not programs. It's about a body, not a building. That's saveus.org. Click Sell Church. Again, I welcome you back to Viewpoint. I'm Chuck Chris Meyer. We're taking a look at New York. 
which uh, has been called the capital of the world. It's also been called the greatest city in the world. It's also been called the most diverse city in the world, the most linguistically diverse city in the world. And uh, so it stands in a very unique place, not only in the world, but in our country. So when our guest today sent his book, The Last Days of New York, for me to take a look at, I thought, you know what? I don't normally talk about cities, per se, here on this program, but I think we should. Because something serious has happened there in this city, and it is a symbol of what is happening throughout the entire country. And if that be true, this book and our conversation today takes on all new meaning and import. I'm leaving a pregnant silence there on purpose. Now, as we launch, go, go ahead, Seth. Well, you know, I was going to say, look, it, it's tempting for Americans who live in the heartland and rural areas to just dismiss our cities as dens of iniquity and, you know, the, the layer of the horror of, 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 um, of Babylon and so forth. But really, I mean, cities are essential to America. We can't really have American history without what happened in the cities. Right. Uh, they've been the engines of prosperity and growth. So the problem isn't the city itself. It's the spirit of the city. If you were to go back to the Old Testament, you'll find over and over again the reference to the concept of the spirit of the city. Sometimes mm-hmm. it's related to the spirit of Egypt, sometimes related to the spirit of Sodom, sometimes related to the spirit of Tyre or Sodom, Sidon. Uh, but in over and over again, this concept of the spirit of the city. And that's where the problem lies. The spirit of the city. It's not the city itself. It's the spirit of the city. It's what is it that grips the mind and heart of the people in the city. And that's what captures my attention. When I consider the title of your book, The Last Days of New York, that's what God is interested in. He's not interested in all your economic prowess. He's not interested in your entertainment, per se. He's interested in the spirit of the city. Is this city oriented toward me as the creator or not? And that's why I made the comment that I find almost no references to any serious, genuine spiritual connection in New York. It's all about other things like the world's leading financial center, the most financially powerful city in the world, home to the world's two largest stock exchanges, anchored by Wall Street, and so on. Well, isn't it fascinating, Seth, that the symbol that is most common for Wall Street and has been, shall we say, in a sense, applied to the whole country, is the golden bear. Mm. The ox, isn't that exactly the symbol that northern Israel adopted as an alternative to the worship of God? And Uh, God said, away with this, I will not tolerate this kind of idolatry. Well, you know, this is getting into some pretty heavy stuff, but I would say... Well, that's what we do here on Viewpoint. Above my pay grade, but (laughs) no, I mean... Look, I, I, I'm not going to say you're wrong. I mean, you're absolutely right. I mean, that giant <laughs> golden 
bull is standing at the end of Broadway and everybody comes to worship it. So, I mean, you got me there. I can't, I can't say you're wrong. Well, from God's viewpoint, it's a bunch of bull. Yeah, no, it's true. Uh, it, it's pretty remarkable. Okay. Um, now, um, the question is, it's, it's, it's not de Blasio. He's merely a figurehead for a city that's in deep, deep trouble and increasingly deep trouble as it's rejected every possible, shall we say, uh, economic or political savior that could have done anything with the city, i.e., for instance, Rudy Giuliani. Mm -hmm. They rejected Rudy Giuliani, and now the very state that he and city that he delivered from crime is now taking away his law license. Go figure. Look, they are absolutely, the people going after Giuliani in that sense are absolutely evil. They run for office on the basis of promising to destroy a man who they just consider a political enemy. They took away, they're disbarring him because, in their words, he repeated Trump's lie. Now, Trump was his client. So whether or not you think Trump was lying or not, that's what lawyers do. These same people ran for office, like the attorney general. Mm -hmm. In the attorney general race, they all ran, and their only campaign platform was, we are going to put Trump in jail. For what? We don't know. And we, will hunt, we will hunt through his businesses and hunt through his taxes, and we'll find something. And that's like what happens in communist dictatorship, in third world banana republics. I mean, it's a disaster what we're seeing in New York. Um, and yeah, in a sense, it's, it's utterly, it's morally corrupt. It's an immoral politics. Absolutely. Well, in other words, what you're increasingly saying is the city is symbolic of what has happened in all America. I would say 100% that's what, that's, that's what's happening. And that's another reason why I think my book is not just for people in New York City who really follow the ins and outs of the politics, but I see it as a warning yes. to America. Like, don't let the progressives eat their way into the pillars of that, 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 that shore up your prosperity, your morals, and your public safety, because they will destroy it. Well, isn't it interesting, if you were to read the book of Deuteronomy, uh, the fifth book of the Old Testament called the uh, the Torah or the Pentateuch, you would find in Deuteronomy chapter 28 a list of great blessings and great cursings. And this was written to uh, the physical descendants of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, uh, who became known as Israel. And uh, the first 15 verses are just a wonderful set of blessings that if you will follow the ways of the Lord your God, he will bless your uh, going in and your coming out, blessed will be your basket and your store, and so on. But then the next 52 verses are called the curses. And what they do is lay out exactly to the point what we see happening, not only in New York, but in all the major cities of America, 
and in the country as a whole. Everything that is said there concerning what would happen if the Jewish people apostatized from uh, the God who made and preserved them a nation and brought them out of Egypt is happening to America. And isn't it interesting also that America, to the earliest founders, and we're talking about guys like uh, uh, John Ed, John Winthrop, a godly attorney who brought four boatloads of Puritans over here in 1630 and so on, their whole viewpoint was that what we were going to do is we're going to reconstitute the vision that God gave to Israel and we're going to become very much like a new Israel, an errand into the wilderness. And we're going to do what Israel failed to do. We're going to obey God. We're going to follow his word, his will, and his ways. And uh, if so, we're going to be blessed just like those first 15 verses of Deuteronomy 28. But you know what he said? At the end of his model of Christian charity, which was like their constitution that they wrote before they landed, he said, but if we do not follow these patterns, if we are dis dissing what God has said, then we will become a curse and a byword. And God will make us to understand the horrible nature of such a perjured people. It's amazing. I don't know if you've ever read it, but I urge you to read it. It's a model of Christian charity. And uh, what we're seeing here, it seems to me, is a definition in the city of New York symbolic of the other cities in America, that we are following exactly the same pattern, and we're seeing that curse of the byword uh, being laid out before us, Seth. What's your thought? Well, you know, I, 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 when, when I relate this to de Blasio, I think about the whole idea of false prophets mm -hmm. and the way in which he has elevated uh, Al Sharpton as his kind of he always refers, calls him the Rev. He says, well, as long as the Rev says it's okay. Mm. Um, and at one point, you know, people were criticizing him, and he says, the more they criticize him, the more I want to hang out. Wow. And Al Sharpton is a man who, who instigated riots, who instigated murders. He flew to Miami to support people who had raped a mother in front of her children. Um, this is an evil man. And this is who de Blasio sees as his, has put forth as like basically his spiritual advisor. Well, as they say, birds of a feather flock together. Indeed. You make a statement uh, right at the end of your book that caught my attention. A return to livability and civility will take more than electing a good person as mayor in New York. That is absolutely true, and it goes to reinforce everything that I have been trying to insert into this conversation, and that the problem is not uh, political at its root. The problem is not economic at its root. The problem is spiritual at its root. New York is in absolute and unmitigated rebellion against the God who made and preserved us a nation. You get the last word. Uh, look, I totally agree with you. I have a little coda at the end of my book 
where I talk about taking a walk in my neighborhood last mm-hmm. year, mm-hmm. and this 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 devilish fellow pointed a, a loaded crossbow at. And absolutely was, weird, by the way, <laughs> isn't it? And then when I found out his name, he was let let free, of course. And I looked him up, and his his Facebook was filled with videos all about. Like indicting, he has all these things. His indictment of Jesus, and he's holding his hand over flame and saying, "I demand my retribution." It was very spooky. I mean, talk about like an apparition of evil. Uh, I mean, it was terrifying. Yeah. I well, mean, I it was a, a symbol to, to you. Perhaps uh, you needed to see that in bold relief uh, to be driven to understand the depths of uh, what is taking place there in the spirit of New York. It's the spirit of Chicago. It's the spirit of San Francisco. It's the spirit of Atlanta. That is what is causing our cities to disintegrate. And I find it interesting that it was in June of 1969, the Stonewall riots right there in New York City that launched the whole G- LGBTQ uh, and all the other d- uh, letters after that, uh, the whole homosexual and lesbian mm-hmm. and uh, uh, transgender movement right there in New York City in 1969. It's absolutely true, and that's now become like, that's like the sacred moment. That's like the holiest place in New York City now, Stonewall. Uh, you're right. Look, Chuck, you're right. I can't, I can't dispute a word you're saying. Well, as Jesus once said, as it was in the days of Lot, so it will be mm-hmm. just before my return. The days of Lot, all about, we want your children for the homosexual agenda. No wonder the title, The Last Days of New York, captured my attention, friends. You might want to get a copy of this hardbound book. $28 book, yours for $24. It's on our website, saveus.org. Saveus.org. Give us a call, 1-800-SAVE-USA. Write to us. Become a partner. Send your gifts by faith, friends, to Save America Ministries. P.O. Box 70879, Richmond, Virginia, 23255. God bless. Be in prayer for our cities. Remember, it's the spirit of our cities. You see, where the spirit of the Lord is, there's liberty. When the spirit of the Lord is not, this is what you get. You've been listening to Viewpoint with Chuck Grissmeyer. Viewpoint is supported by the faithful gifts of our listeners. Let me urge you to become a partner with Chuck as a voice to the church declaring vision for the nation. Join us again next time on Viewpoint as we confront the issues of America's heart and home.